Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. Hello, Chris Evans here to thank you for listening to my podcast. This week was the week that Jason Isaacs told us about his deadly encounter with a snake, amongst other things. Giles Branrith passed on acting tips from the late Sir Roger Moore. Hollywood superstar Andrew Garfield revealed live on the show his obsession with Strictly Come Dancing. Fresh from Crofts, it's our old mate, the super vet, Professor Noel Fitzpatrick, singing goddess Sophie Ellis-Bexter and the multi-talented Simon Amstel. All of that and more on the way. He's risen through the ranks of British television and has since conquered the heady heights of Hollywood. His new film, Under the Silver Lake, sees him wading through the dark underbelly of LA in a twisted tale guaranteed to get your pulse racing. Please welcome the gorgeous Andrew Garfield. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So Garfield. Garfield. This is lovely. Oh, my goodness. Oxford, oh my God. <laughs> How are you, my friend? I'm so, so well. I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to be here. You seem very well, too. <laughs> Can you tell? You, it's a little unnerving. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure I like it. Sorry. Do apologise. No, no, um, carry so on. It's talk, let's talk about life and whatever you like, uh, whatever heck you like. Let's talk about your film, first of all, Under the Silver Lake. Now, I watched it last night. Mira watched it last night. Mm. Dave watched it last night. Mm. And we came in this morning with a big discussion about it. Oh, good. Before I tell you what we think about it, what do you think about it? Me? Yeah. I think it's the best film ever made in the history of <laughs> movies. Not since Tarkovsky and Scorsese and, uh, you know, uh, Kurosawa. Um, it, I, 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 um, I do really like it. I think my, my, my naked buttocks are in it a lot. Um, and I think uh, that's interesting. Um, that's not, never really happened before with me in a film. So that's, I think, reason enough to go and see it. Um, and I wasn't in very good shape when um, we were making well, it. Well, I'm sorry, I beg to differ. If that's you in not great shape, I'm never getting me cut off again on telly or, or on the big screen. You used to do it every week on TV on Friday. Anyway, never mind. Um, so, so, but you, you, you accept. In fact, you proclaimed when you came in, you said, no, it's weird. It's, it's weird. A, it's, a gr- it's a brilliantly weird film. So... Yeah. The guy's 33. His name is Sam. Yes. Um, he doesn't know whether he's coming or going. But mm. for me, the, the film, almost from the off, begins to say to us, life is as meaningful or meaningless as you want it to be. Mm. And that's how this film can be if you want it to be like that. Mm. And I love the fact, I think it's one of the best looking films I've ever seen. Mm. Every shot is a work of art. Mm. Every set is a work of art. Mm. I love East LA. Mm. I love the, po- the sort of post-World War II Hockney-esque Environment, mm-hmm. so I was already salivating. Yeah, from yeah, the it's candy. Yeah. I want to live in the condo with the pool in the middle. Yeah. I want all that stuff. Yeah, um, tell us what you think about Sam. Yeah, well, it's I, I love what you just said. It is <clears throat> really visually kind of like candy to the eyes and to the senses. Um, you know, for me, it's like you remember the film The Goonies. I do. Um, it's what as it, my favorite film from my childhood. It's, it's like if Sean Astin's character Mikey from The Goonies is now thirty five and he's still kind of inappropriately going on like childhood adventures 
Um, but instead now he's in like a David Lynch film in a Los Angeles that's the opposite of La La Land. Um, so it's like deeply dark, underbelly, kind of regressed, m- like entering middle-aged man who should know better. Yeah. To watch the movie is an extraordinary thing. How the heck mm. do you read that script and go, yeah, this is one for me? <laughs> How do you pick that one apart? Um, well, so... You, did you see It Follows? Yes. Well, no, I didn't actually. Did you not? No, but he, I know he did that, didn't he? Yeah, the director so, and the producer. Uh, the, yeah, the writer. The, the writer-director, yeah. David Robert Mitchell, made this incredible... I want to watch it now. Oh, I'm... yeah. Watch it with the lights on and, and you know, with broad daylight outside because it's one of the scariest films you'll, you'll ever see. He kind of, like, reinvented the horror genre a, a few years ago when he made this film. Um, and it's... I think the majority of people have seen it and that, so they know how amazing he is as a filmmaker. So, really, after seeing that... I thought, well, this guy knows what he's doing. And then I, I read the script and it was 50 pages longer than the usual kind of script. And the only other time that's ever happened with me is when I read The Social Network, the Aaron Sorkin script. And I have to say, I was totally riveted when I was reading this because it did feel like a throwback in a way. It felt like my child... It felt like... It did feel like The Goonies. It felt like a grown-up version of The Goonies. And, you know, it's my favorite film of all time. So... Um, I really connected with it in, in that way, I guess. So uh, you've taken a sabbatical of six months away from the movie industry, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Garfield. <laughs> What's the matter? <laughs> this just came the, out of nowhere, yeah. Well, this is the radio equivalent of your new film. <laughs> this is what we're doing here, yeah? It's actually been two years since I've made a film. Really? Two years, I did a play, did a long play. You did a long play. Big eight-hour play. Please. Congratulations. Um, one of the greatest plays ever written, Angels in America. I did that for uh, two years. And then I got quite tired. Um, and uh, and, I, and I, I had a little sit down for, for the last few months. And it was very, you know, when, you know, when you, you know, I'm, I'm on a train and I decided to look out the window for the first time in a while yeah. and take in the view and, and maybe smell the roses a little bit and realize that there's a lot of life out there and a lot of life um, to be lived and it's not just a kind of narrow alleyway of ambition and, and work and achieving and producing and making and having to stay in a certain position and hustling. I think there's like a hustle culture that I think my generation is uh, kind of uh, affected by right now and that's uh, maybe taking us away from the other aspects of life. There's a, like a lack of balance that I perceive in myself and people around me a little bit. A uh, very wise man says, and he's still around to say it, he says, uh, we're at our worst, human beings, when we feel the constant need to add. Yeah. Who was that person? Eckhart Tolle. Oh, yeah, he's good, isn't he? Add, yeah. Yeah, he's quite good. You don't need to add. Mm. It's all there. It's all there. Once you realise nothing is lacking, the whole world belongs to you. Ah, abundance. Mm. Mm. So, uh, big fan of Strictly. Listen, uh, this is really the reason I wanted to come and talk to you this morning because I heard that you were maybe going to be on it, and I thought and you this, wanted uh, to get you tickets. Well, I, well, not even that. I just I, actually, honestly, I just think that's a match made in heaven because on my sabbatical, one of the many things I've done on my sabbatical, maybe the most important thing I've done on my sabbatical is I've realised how important Strictly Come Dancing is, not only for the British public but for me as an individual. Um, it's my favourite new pastime to sit and get overly invested in whether Stacey Dooley is going to win or not. And did you think she would? I, 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 I assumed she would. We all thought would. that, didn't we? Mm. I yeah. hoped she would. Dooley! Um, 
and I, I was just, you know, and I was very, very happy to see it happen. But then when I heard that you were doing it, I thought, well, well that's, um, that's you have to give the people what they what they want, and that is what the <laughs> that is what everyone in this country wants. Yeah, but I've got an issue with my left meniscus. Tell us about this. Tell us really specifically about what's wrong with <laughs> do your. Do you knee. not believe me? No, I do. I do. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm a little dubious. I'm thinking maybe. Uh, no, no, I do believe you. I no, do no, believe you. You think I may be bottling it? Well, I mean, it's a scary thing to step into. Strictly come dancing. Fear is in the mind, my friend. This is beautiful. Fear is in the mind. Apparently you've got to go. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We were just getting into the juicy stuff. I know, I know, I know. I mean, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to fudge the meniscus question. <laughs> it does feel a little diverging. No, anyway, thank you, Andrew. See ya. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. The best entertainment, all in one place on Virgin Radio. He's no stranger to being the bad guy, not least when he's terrorizing Harry Potter as Lucius Malfoy. This month, he returns in Netflix's highly anticipated The OA Part Two as villainous scientist Hap Percy. Here to tell us more. It's the not-so-evil, but really quite lovely, Jason Isaacs. <laughs> morning, Jason. Good morning. How lovely to see you here. It's lovely to be It's a fantastic view It's from not here. terrible, Insane. is it? It's no, not awful. No. The thing is, Vastus is going to Australia tomorrow. I was point. there I was there making Peter Pan once. It was meant to be six months, and it mm-hmm. stretched to 14 months. I lived on the beach, in uh, Broad Beach, in, in the Gold Coast, maybe the most beautiful place in the world. And they kept coming to me when the film went over and over and over, and going, I'm really sorry, I think it's probably going to be another month, Jason. I go, oh, I never mind. all right then, but we can give you tickets to fly friends and family over. So every month for 14 months, I had friends and family come and visit me on the perfect beach. I wish I I was still making that film. <laughs> all right, well, he's going for a day. Six days yeah. in all. No, that'll uh, cripple you. That's t- a nightmare. Good. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Jason. Welcome. I was looking forward to this. <laughs> Although I, did, I was terrorised when I lived there by every single version of What Can Kill You. We have this lovely young girl who worked for us and she called me one day at the studio and she, she said, Jason, there's a brown snake in the garden. I went, why are you telling me? You're, you're meant to be looking after my wife and kids. She went, yeah, but it's a brown. I went, I don't know what that is. I'm English. What type of snake is? No, a brown is a type of snake. It's the second most poisonous snake in the world. I said, well, what, what do I do? She went, I've killed it. I'll put it in a pot outside the back door and you should take it in because it shouldn't be in a residential area. So I come home late at night and I look in the pot and there's this tiny little thing like a giant worm and I thought, all right, it's poisonous. And I went to pick it up with a pair of chopsticks and put it in the container and it went... <laughs> and I jumped about 10 foot and I, I stamped on it a thousand times till it was literally just froth that was oh all that was left and I, phoned, I went inside I phoned her out, I went Laurie for Christ's sake if they were still alive she went oh, I must have just stunned it <laughs> it's totally casual and that's Australia for yeah. you alright so Jason Isaacs is here uh, at some point we will talk about no um, well, I tell you what the thing about it is <laughs> It, it is such a huge show for the people who saw part one. People yeah. who haven't seen part one, you're a fool. Go and watch part one again. And it's indescribable. So we're better talking about other things. Let's just leave it <laughs> at, if you don't watch it, you're an idiot. Right. Uh, if you do watch it, your life will be immeasurably better. And uh, it's brilliant. How about that? It's, okay, the o- <laughs> it's brilliant. It? The OA part two premieres March 22 on Netflix. But you, it's it, a we- mystical, spiritual yes. thriller. Okay. It crosses every genre. Uh, There's nothing like it ever been made mm-hmm. on television before. Excellent. Okay, and you do yourself a favour. Watch series one first. Which oh, yeah. Is- no, otherwise, your head will be spinning off your body. Uh, it premiered on Netflix in December 2016 without any trailing any promotion whatsoever it dropped suddenly literally uh, from up above without any warning 
and zero I'll marketing. I'll tell you what happened on Netflix as well, because they, they had a marketing campaign. I remember seeing it. It was all around, you know, the initial premise, which was a blind girl who was snatched when uh, came back seven years later. She can see, but she won't tell anyone what happened to her. But she gathers a bunch of misfits. She starts telling this story. Is it true? Is it not? It's about traveling dimensions. It's kind of magical. And from there, it all unfolds. But they had this campaign, and they dropped it, and they just posted it. And it began to build and build and build around the world. Because it's... I'll tell you what, the two indie filmmakers who had never done anything of any kind of scale wrote these, these scripts on spec. They spent two years researching and writing this insane journey and they went around and there was a bidding war. Now, most things that get made, you sell an idea, it gets developed and they've all got the same fingerprints on them and they're sold generally. It's a cross between this and this, you know, to Inspector Morse meets Schindler's List or whatever the hell, you know, something. But this was not like anything anyone had ever seen. They thought let's just put it up there and let people find it and they did find it in insane numbers around the world it is one of the most binge series on Netflix by which I mean people when they start watching it very very often watch all eight hours in one go and call in sick the next day so we are res- we are <laughs> good, probably responsible good. for a big drop in productivity very good all over the very world. clever alright Jason's uh, sticking around sure. uh, because you then got onto a story about your kids because your wife's away so you're cooking them food continue well, my wife left the menu on the blackboard in the kitchen and I tried to make the food that, every day that she had ordered me to make. And the kids just... But the very first day, I made the seared salmon and some sweet potatoes and salad. Nice, and then uh, nice. And they went, oh, it's too raw. Mum cooks it more than that. It's cooked through more than that. I went, all right, fine. I cooked it more than that so it was leathery. And uh, and then <laughs> Emma phoned from Canada and they get on the phone. They say, hi, darling. I went, Dad made the us raw salmon. I go, what is the... F- <laughs> you ratted me out on the very... In fact, by the way, it wasn't raw. It was perfectly. Yeah. But uh, every single day, everything I'm like, you put the cream cheese in lentil salad, we have it on the side. Right, <laughs> and, and then you got to the Brits. And then, so my teenagers, <laughs> they're fantastic children. I love their adorn. They, they absolutely appropriately biologically despise me and wish I didn't exist. But then I got invited to the Brits and I said ah. to my 16-year-old, darling, I've got tickets to the Brits. She went, oh, can I take a friend? I went, no, you, I'm taking you. I'm the guest, the VIP guest. She went, well, can't I take a friend? I go, no, you can't. Well, who's on? And I gave her the long list of amazingly starry names and she very reluctantly through gritted eyes and gritted teeth had to come with me and actually talk to me for most of the evening, which was both torture for her and exquisite <laughs> delight for You're me. You're such a funny bloke. Uh, well, Jason, it's lovely to have you. It's always, it's always great to have you on. Um, a friend of mine um, says you describe yourself as the campest straight man in the world and show tunes in the car all the way to anywhere yes, you're going? Yes, no, I have the gayest playlists <laughs> in the world because I love show tunes. It's all, it's all Barbara and... Uh, <laughs> In fact, I used when I lived in LA for a while. They had a, on AM. They had a show tune radio station, and I would play them. And I'd pull up alongside some of the traffic, look over, and see this guy. They seem being tough, and black hawk down, or the page or whatever. And I would be just belting out lies of Manelli, and I'd, I'd catch their eye. There'd be an awkward pause, and I'd go audition, and then drive off. Did you mouth it? Audition. Yeah. Audition. Like that. Yeah. Oh, and then wind the window up. Does your sixteen-year-old like that about you? <laughs> that, might be the, that might be the issue. I think <laughs> there's literally nothing about me that my sixteen-year-old likes. Have but a I wife? love her nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> I have a virtual wife. Oh god! Ships the past of the night. All right. Uh, so show cheers all the way. That's good. Lies Miller. Barbara Streisand is playing. Um, she's playing in in London this year. Uh, Tickets go on sale. Oh, she's singing. She's, she's not sing- playing football. No, no she's she's, she's uh, singing. She says tickets go on sale on Thursday. Surely you've got to be first in the queue for now, those. Far be it for me to say that Barbara Streisand can't sing anymore and she's lost all the high notes. But does it matter? No. I, well, yes, it does. It's tragic. So we we went to see um, uh, Fleetwood Mac when we uh, in the Hollywood Bowl uh-huh. at one point because my wife was raised on Fleetwood. Mac. I adored them. Don't we please were, don't tell us they're no good. They were brilliant. Oh, thank heaven. Brilliant. Oh, and then God. two songs in, she went, "Can we go? It's a bit sad. I can't take how old they are." <laughs> 
Who said this? My wife. Oh, your wife. We, as bought, well. we got we got fantastic got tickets, better the fortune. Oh, and then why uh, did you bother, Jason? Seriously? I don't know why. I would I divorce bothered. your family if I were you. They'd be telling very different stories if they were here, <laughs> okay. but they're not, and I've got the mic. All right, pal. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Ahead of his hotly anticipated thirty-seven date tour across the country, we welcome somebody who has quite literally done it all, from presenting the one show to penning award-winning reviews and even becoming an MP. Let's say hello to a brilliantly high-achieving man. With with a terrible sense of direction, it's Giles Brown. Morning, Giles. Good morning. It's so exciting to have made it. What an adventure it's been. My problem is, I'm yes. going on tour, but my roadie is my wife, and she wouldn't come out this morning <laughs> on this expedition. And I went to the wrong address. I went to the old address, where they're very nice, but there's an empty room. No, no, that's not Radio 2, that's Virgin's old address. Yes, Virgin's it's old address. wireless building. I'd worked out that you'd moved to Virgin Radio, and very exciting. Can I say, yep. people haven't been yet, the building is amazing, and Vassos is still here. You know Vassos and <laughs> I go... Now. Uh, well, until he goes to Australia, yeah. he may never return, because they love it down there. Vassos and I are virtually related. Yes, we are. Vassos is a, a friend of uh, my daughter, in uh-huh. fact, two of my daughters, and some of their husbands. Right. Uh, and, he, in fact, he modelled for... I my, modelled... Some of your finest jumpers for um, for a book that you co-authored with one of your daughters, indeed, with Scythrid. Um And so I, I think I I modelled with Afra, one of your other daughters. Correct. Um, we modelled the the bow tie jumpers. Oh God, it looks so good on you. And uh, and the and the and the yellow train one. <laughs> That's it, the yellow train one. What is so lovely is people. Mo- I used to wear these colourful jumpers on television in younger and happier uh, days. Uh-huh. Did you ever model any of my jumpers? No, but what's funny is that yet again the unfurling life of Vassas Alexander. So he he looks like a knitting model. Is that what we're looking? That, that is the is point. That the kind of thing. Do you remember? I was introduced to model knitting when when I was a boy. The knitting model was Roger Moore, the great actor <laughs> Roger Moore. 007, yeah, yeah. Chris's and my favourite James Bond. Yeah, without question. Without question. Yeah. And he was a knitting model in the 1950s, and he had your sort of looks. You know, <laughs> Roger Moore, for this tour that I'm doing, just before he died, yes. he, he, he said, do you want some acting lessons? Because maybe you, I could help you. Right. Because Roger Moore explained to me, he was a very self-deprecating man, that he only had two looks for the camera. One was left eyebrow up, the other was right eyebrow up. So I said, well, if it's that easy, teach me. And he taught me. And we had, and you can see this on my website. We actually see pictures of Roger Moore showing me how to do this. I could get the left eyebrow up, but I could never get the right eyebrow up. Oh. And I said, why is it, Roger, that I can get the left eyebrow up, but I can't get the right eyebrow up? And he said, Giles, it's very easy. It's simply because you're half the actor I am. <laughs> Of course, it does help with what's below the eyebrows, doesn't it? Thank you. <laughs> oh, you mean he was very handsome? He I'm was, not, and Vassos is very handsome. He is, he is, unfortunately, you're right. I was at the Isle of Wight. I mean, I mean, doing the show, did it at Edinburgh last year. We were very lucky. We got five-star reviews. Lots of people came. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Sold out. <laughs> so my wife said to me, Giles, you sold out years ago. Anyway, <laughs> I was in the Isle of Wight doing this, and somebody said, you've got to do questions at the end. So I said, yeah. oh, okay, I'll take some questions. And a man got up and said, fish. You haven't mentioned fish once. I said, well, he said, you tell a lot of stories you think clearly think are quite amusing. There's been no mention of fish. He said, I hoped I'd come to hear how to debone a trout. I've learned nothing. Turned out he'd booked for Rick Stein. 
This is the problem of the computer. He'd gone on, Rick's time was appearing the following week, mm. he'd pressed the wrong button, he'd sent, been sent the tickets, he'd come to sit and he'd sat through me. But the scary thing is, up until that point, he thought you were Rick Stein. He did. Because Rick Stein and I are exactly the same age, we went to the same university. Same narrative. <laughs> All a bit fishy. If I'm a little bit um, this morning, it's because I haven't done my exercises. Uh, my show is a lot about old actors... Yeah. Old theatre people, and I normally begin the day. Do you remember Donald Sindon? Of course. Before your time, Bassos. Donald Sindon was an actor of the old school, wonderful, fruity voice. And I first met him when I was at school. And he taught me about diction, good diction. And <laughs> uh, he taught me that you get uh, volume from the vowels, keep those vowels open, and you get uh, clarity from the consonants. And I do an exercise every morning that I haven't done yet because I got up early to come and see you. I thought we might do it together. Yeah. To start the day, and ladies, I'd like you to join in as well. I'd like the whole nation to join in. This is an exercise <laughs> invented by Sir Donald Sindon to remind us that vowels are for volume and consonants are for clarity. One comes from the larynx, the other from the actual <laughs> mouth itself, the teeth and the tongue. Are we ready? Yes. I will say the words and then you will repeat them after. Okay. This is the mantra. All right. Hip bath, hip bath, lavatory, lavatory, bidet, bidet, douche. Okay? I'd like the whole nation now to do this. On the count of three. One, two, three. Hip bath, hip bath, lavatory, lavatory, b-day, b-day, douche. That's it. Feel better already. You do. Um, uh, our sports guest, she, well, she'll be very grateful for that because she's <laughs> never going to... Her diction will never sound clearer in any interview uh, before or after this one. Vassal's over to you. it's a very big week as well. So uh, our sports guest this morning is ITV's racing presenter. I'm going to start this again. Sorry, Francesca. ITV's award-winning racing Hit presenter, Hit the brilliant <laughs> Francesca Kumani. Hello, Francesca. Hi, everyone. Great Hi. to be here with all of you. And I, Yeah, brilliant, Giles. Thank you for those uh, exercises. I'll be doing them every morning this week ahead of uh, four big days at Cheltenham. For those who don't follow racing, what, what's all the fuss about? Gosh, well, Cheltenham, it is really like the holy grail for the, uh, for the jumps racing scene. The whole season really builds to this one week um, in the middle of Gloucestershire. Uh, it's unlike any other racing event, especially in England, in the sense that it gets talked about so much in the build-up. You have these endless preview shows. You've got it all over the papers. Well, even here, being able to, to come and talk to you guys about Cheltenham, it's the, it's the race meeting that really grabs the nation. And that's because it, it's, it's a week that produces so many good stories. Cheltenham's a great big party for four days. Yeah, it sure is. It's such a great excuse to kind of take a bit of time off work, head down there, go to all the enclosures that, that are on offer. I mean, you kind of asked me about the party element. I we're stuck on the podium talking about the horses, so I don't get to see much of it. But after yeah, you go off air, well, no, it sounds really nerdy. After we go off air, back to the hotel, uh, debrief from the day before, best, plan be for the honest. next. Have day, you ever it? been to Frankie de Tori's home? Um, in his kitchen, uh, no, you don't need to answer that. In his kitchen, <laughs> he has a you wall. Have. I have. He has a wall that is merely champagne from really? floor to ceiling because he explained to me they have to stay so slim, these jockeys, yeah. that they, he can't eat anything, so he just drinks this champagne. And he has a, a swimming pool in his kitchen, a swimming pool within it, a little riding seat. So he's like being, and he, <laughs> no, this is true. He sits really? on this riding seat and he swims. The tide comes in. It's an electric swimming pool um, pushing water against him and he swims while, with, drinking, champagne. while drinking champagne. A wall of champagne. Forget Cheltenham. And Let's exactly. go to Frankie's. So the point is uh, uh, get over to Frankie's place. Yeah, well, well Lester Piggott supposedly used to survive on a diet of champagne and cigars but yeah, they, oh, they really can't eat very terrible, well. doesn't it? Yeah. it sounds absolutely 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. The best entertainment all in one place on Virgin Radio. Our next catch is a British actor whose latest role takes him to Port Isaac for the heartwarming film everyone is talking about, Fisherman Friends. Here to tell us about playing the cynical music exec who helped a group of Cornish shanty singers sail to the top of the charts, it's the marvellous Daniel Mays. Good morning, Daniel. Morning, Chris. Good morning, Daniel. And you are live from Cornwall. (laughs) I feel like I am. Yeah, you were there like a minute ago. Or something. I was there. I got. Uh, I was in Newquay last night for the premiere for the film. Yeah, and we travelled through the night just to be with you, Chris. Well, no, thank you so much. I believe you got in at four o'clock. I did. Yeah, so four I, o'clock to the hotel over the road there. Yeah, couldn't be more grateful, honestly. Uh, so, red carpet reception with Cornish pasties and real ale. Yes, tribute ale and Cornish pasties. Every premiere should do this from now on. It should be part of the course. How much did you not want to get on the train last night? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually was singing with the Fisherman's Friends at the very end because they did like a concert as well. Right, and right. we were singing um, South Australia, I think it was. So um, I managed to get up on there and uh, sing a little tune with them. And, well, then I, and then I was whisked away. Well, thank you so much for coming. Now, this film is out today. I saw it yesterday. I shed a tear. I laughed a lot. I smiled constantly uh, throughout. <laughs> while, while weeping a little bit that you can do they're not mutually exclusive you can do both those things at once <laughs> it's a true story so so tell everybody I mean lots of people know about Fisherman's Friends some people don't know about Fisherman's Friends yeah back in 2010 the there are you know a folk singing group down in Port Isaac and they were discovered by uh, a music manager Ian Brown and um, it was a it's a complete left field success story they were signed got a million pound recording contract got in the uh, top 10 they played the uh, pyramid stage at Glastonbury so our movie is based on those true events, but tied in with that, it's a kind of rom-com as well. I play the somewhat cynical music exec, Danny Anderson, who's stranded down there on a, on a stag do. There's kind of a bit of artistic <laughs> license really with good. our version. It's all really good. And um, so he's sort of forced to sign this band. He's a bit, in, He feels a bit indifferent towards them when he first hears them, and yet he falls in love with the girl in the village, he falls in love with the community, the band themselves, and he kind of comes to a complete crossroad in his life and he's forced to uh, re-evaluate what success means and his, his place in the world. There's it's nothing, a great journey. There's nothing this film doesn't have going for it. No, there's a lot going on. <laughs> and also it's set in Port Isaac, so it's eye candy all the way yes. through, isn't it? From beginning to end, it's just gorgeous. It was a real tough five-week shoot. Can you imagine down there? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was just bliss. It was, And we shoot in the Golden Lion pub, which is the only pub in the village. It's heavily featured in the film. And so we would, like, rap you know, on a day's filming and we'd be in the pub and sardines on the beach, pints of tribute, and invariably we would all just break out into the sea shanties because all of the actors playing the fishermen obviously had to learn them. Mm. But just by the end of the movie, I knew all the words anyway, so it was a good old sing-song. Now, uh, tell us about your sea legs because you did have to film <laughs> a lot uh, out at sea. Now, I've been sea fishing and I didn't have a fantastic experience, I have to say. <laughs> 
watching the movie again last <laughs> night. It was the second time I've seen it, and it is very rocky out there. And the weird thing with me, I think they gave us a choice to have seasick tablets or not. Some people took them. I don't think I did. It hit me in the pub two hours later right. that day. But having said that, there was a focus pull on it. I now know the term when someone turns green. Mm. He literally was spewing up all over the side of the boat, as was the focus puller, but somehow we managed to get through well, it. Well, the issue for the cameraman, because I've done this in, 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 in the air, I've done it at sea as well with cameramen, yeah. Because, yeah. because they're looking through a lens. Yes. And so, so the tricks that the sea will play on your tummy if you have motion sickness via the naked eye is one thing. But if you're looking through an artificial device then it's entirely another, and it's magnified by like a thousand times. Those guys deserve medals. They do. <laughs> they really do. Our DOP certainly deserved the medal because it was it was proper rocky out oh, there. Yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. god! All right. So um, it's a bit. There's, there's you can you can feel the heartbeat of the movie on the screen. I think it's upbeat and uplifting. I mean, that's what it's got in spades. This movie is plenty of heart, you know. Because I mean, we were literally welcomed by the community down there. All of the fishermen and everyone who, who was in the village. It's such a small fishing village, uh, Port Isaac, and that sort of togetherness and warmth and uh, collectiveness that really comes across on screen I mean it's a very strong feature of the whole movie it's beautiful now we must point out that the pub which is um, uh, undergoes uh, some some troubles it's, it's struggling it's a struggling pub in the movie it's doing fine in real life we must point that out <laughs> <laughs> it's doing fine yeah it's, That's a in fact, it's doing great business it always <laughs> yeah. has done hasn't it yeah I mean you know I just don't want people to think it's not when they see the film go, well we would go but I'm not sure the pub will be there anymore <laughs> yeah. the, pub, the pub is the rocking the pub is definitely there, yeah, and those tributes are flowing. Yeah, don't worry about that. And did anybody, any of the members of the Castor crew, park the car on the beach and forget it was there, and then get caught out by a particularly <laughs> quick spring tide? No, but it um, it does happen down there. You can, uh, yeah, when the tide's out, you can park your vehicles on the beach. So that's that's definitely happened once or twice. So you you've sung as part of that choir on on the beach. You know, you're not in the choir. You manage the choir, but you do sing with the choir, don't you? On on the beach in Port Isaac. Uh, I well, personally, Danny Mays, me. I sang with them at the rap party. That was our rap. That they kind of did a huge concert on the plat. What and, a um, laugh. We got up there. It was me, Noel Clark, and a few of the other actors. So you were there for five weeks uh, in digs, I would presume. Uh, I had a lovely uh, three-storey cottage. What, in Port <laughs> This just gets better and better. Yeah. Uh, okay, it does, actually. I'm so pleased. I, I, I want to be jealous, but I'm not. I'm just pleased for you. I need to get onto the producers about the sequel, don't I? You really like, do. You really do. What would, you, what would it be called? What would it be about? <laughs> what would happen with that? I would don't it know. be about when a DJ moves his radio show to yeah. Cornwall? <laughs> what would this amazing, <laughs> unbelievably fantastic, uh, consummate Northern Irish um, music? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's yeah. the strand we'll go for. Okay, no, we could go for that. I'm so pleased for you. I don't know how you got any work done. I know. It's a tough gig, <laughs> isn't it? A tough gig. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Not content with being queen of the dance floor, she's now jumped into the orchestra pit for her fantastic new greatest hits album, The Song Diaries. If this ain't love, then I don't know what is. Please welcome the superb Sophie Ellis-Bexter. Good morning, Sophie. Good morning. What a lovely voice you have. He has, hasn't he? Yeah. Uh, Richie says, well, good morning, Rich. How are you? So we have uh, Mr. and Mrs. and we have little Mickey. We do, yeah, he's over there. You're trying to distract me. He's uh, he's got a little bit of a cough. He's allowed to have a cough. He's he's nine weeks old. He is. He's sitting on Uncle Chris's lap here. He's going to have a chat. You want to have a little chat on the radio, Mickey? Let's have a listen. Heavy breathing. 
There you go. He's a little bit mucusy, isn't he? But he's, he's allowed, aren't we all? Aren't we all? He's a bit microphone shy. Yeah. Um, unlike anybody else in the building. <laughs> all right. So, Sophie, and you have yeah. Matt today. Uh, first ever greatest hits. Yes. How you feeling? Really excited. Happy. I want, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what people think of it. I started making this record December before last. So, yeah. it's good it's finally out. And I'm very pleased with how it sounds. How, do, how does one go about making an orchestral version of your, your hits, that, your bona fide hits that we all know and love, anyhow? Yeah, well, it sort of started off as quite what I thought was a small idea and kept getting bigger and bigger because it turns out with an orchestra, more is always more. So there's always more things you can add in. Right. Um, so it's 16 songs, 16 singles. Wow. And they've all been reworked in various ways. Okay, so, so, I mean, was it over one sort of session? Or? No, no, spread out over lots of sessions, actually. So um, Ed Harcourt produced the majority of it with um, additional stuff from David Arnold. And it's all been arranged by a lovely friend of mine called Amy Langley, who has done... I think a brilliant, really sensitive, clever set of arrangements. Mr. Bond, David Arnold. Yes. Okay, so um, did you know, did you befriend all the musicians? How many musicians involved in your new album? How many? Come on. How many strings? How, uh, was there a harp? Did yes. you have some timpanies? Def- yeah, all did, of that. Did yeah, you have timpani, a massive harp. gong? Yes, yeah, was, literally was, everything. Was the percussion guy cool? Because they usually aren't the percussion guys. Yeah, bit actually, mad he was and cool. cool. And that was like, my favourite night, actually, of the whole session, because, yeah, he was a bit crazy. And then Ed, it was the end of a very long day, wasn't it? And Ed Harcourt got in the studio and started banging the cymbals and getting involved and sort of doing big sort of conducting while he was in there. I think one of the coolest things you can see in any city in the world, especially the more cosmopolitan cities, is somebody um, who has a classical instrument case and hopefully a classical, <laughs> classical instrument in it getting onto a, the tube or off a yeah. bus yeah. and you just think I don't know what you're doing don't, don't care whether there's an instrument in there but you look really cool yeah, it does look cool it's true have all tuba players got massive cars uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky, the best entertainment all in one place on Virgin Radio. Dapper Dave, can you take us uh, to our next guest, please? From Pop World to Grandma's House, this man has been on our screens for more than two decades. Here to tell us about stepping behind the camera for his hilariously bittersweet debut feature film, Benjamin, please welcome the scintillating Simon Amstel. Hi, Si. Hi, Chris. When is your film out? Today. Yay! Yay! Welcome to the club. Today, guest. <laughs> uh, so, my wife and I were watching your film last night, um, and uh, we have uh, six month old twins. They're six months old on Tuesday, and your film, and we watch lots of films in bed together on the laptop. Your film was the first one. My wife has stayed awake till the end uh, since she had babies. She said, I can't take my eyes off this. This is a gripping film. Gosh, that's good, isn't it? It's fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, why don't you explain to everybody what, what it's about your movie? All right. Okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Benjamin is about a young BAFTA award-winning filmmaker who hasn't made a film for seven years. He's about to launch his second film at the London Film Festival. He's terrified it's going to go wrong. It does go wrong. His main problem is he is a person who is seeking love from an audience because he's terrified of intimacy. I don't know if you can relate to that at any point in your past, Chris. No, it says... Well, of course can, yeah. But it says it's autobiographical. How autobiographical is it? Semi. I think I wrote it as a way of figuring out what's wrong with me in my 20s. And I think I'm better now. Um, So he's kind of me before I had a lot of therapy and found a boyfriend. Okay, so self-perspective, you know, that's what this film sort of, it centres on self-perspective and what you might learn through that. But also the fact that it's, I love films that have films in them. 
Yeah. Because this is a film a film about somebody making a film, so you have to make that film as well. Yeah, it was quite handy, actually, because his film isn't very good. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it means that the rest of the film, I think, looks quite good in contrast. <laughs> Did you do that on purpose? Is that quite a handy tool? I didn't think of it when I was writing it, but when, I, when we were editing, I thought, oh, this is good that we did this. <laughs> All right, so, so who's in it and what roles? Because there aren't many people in this film, are there? No, enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you want, want to do for a film. Sometimes, you know. Yeah, there's Colin Morgan, who's this brilliant human being who is so effortless and wonderful. Danny, you did a play with him. I, I've acted with Colin on stage, Jerry Mojo. Fantastic actor. There you go. Phoenix Brossard, who's beautiful and French and... Uh, oh, I was going to say, is the, French, is the French boy really French? Yes, of course. Right. I don't really trust actors Bien to do sir. accents. No, I don't know why that is, but I sort of always feel like I'm, I'm scared I won't know if the accent isn't good. So I, I feel like people... <laughs> like when Colin came in to read for the role, he wanted to do it in the London accent. I said, I don't, I don't, just do it in your own voice. Then there's one less thing to worry about. And the whole film is about intimacy, so I didn't want there to be anything in between the audience and the characters. You, yeah. you got your director's hands out all of a sudden, <laughs> haven't you? This is so good. I've always had these, but I'm really using them now. Okay, Daniel, Daniel, as an actor, what is your take on the director saying, drop all the accents, and we want you as you are? I think that's a, a very um, astute, that, isn't it? Because, yeah. I mean, you don't want to get tied up in accents and things like that. You just really want to get to the essence of what the character is. Yeah, I mean, obviously actors can do accents, but I, I just felt like there was no need. There's no reason for Benjamin to, to not be from Ireland, so why not be from Island. Okay, Brilliant. and, the, and the, the French French gentleman. Okay, yes. he he's. We first see him singing uh, at a sort of almost an open mic event in in some kind of bar, a ca- sort of Camden-esque kind of student night or whatever. God, he's a good singer. Yeah, and that's not his thing. He's actually a drummer. Is he? But my the composer of the songs, James Wrighton, who was in the Claxon, says uh, that drummers are always singers. But is that true? No, that's not true, is it? <laughs> Richard is in the feeling. He can tell you anything you like to know about rock and roll. Tell us about drummers. <laughs> not always. Not, not always. always. I guess they've got rhythm. But yeah. he came in, he was such hey, a brilliant what do you mean, actor. What do you mean you guess they've got rhythm? They're drummers. <laughs> well, I, well, yes. That's, yes, I, they, I should have said they have rhythm. I apologise. I'm very so. nervous. I always get nervous when I come here because, you know, you know because of the... the our connection. Our, our connection. <laughs> we I worked for Chris what? Evans. Really? Oh, okay. As a child. <laughs> I, was, I pretended to be 18. I was actually 17 and I did work experience at Ginger Productions and it was the most thrilling moment of my life. All I did, yeah. I think, I was thinking I was just like, putting things in boxes. But it was, it was an amazing two days wow. <laughs> is it only two days I think it was just two days and then I sneaked myself into the TFI Friday audience and went to shake your hand as you remember when you did that walk into the thing there's a terrible uh, very embarrassing <laughs> clip on YouTube of me going to shake your hand yeah. and you ignore me I did, well <laughs> I suppose you can interpret it as ignoring you, but I didn't. Do, I really didn't do it on purpose. I had not. a TV show to do. I know. I <laughs> and it was live. Sure, sure, sure. And you're like, why did you say, man? Because I was yeah. thinking about what my first line was on the show and what bands were on and Pulling whether Kylie Minogue was in a good mood or not. Right. I don't know. What was I thinking about? <laughs> I was just happy to be but there. But look where you are now. Oh, I mean, no, and you've been happened. really successful on the telly, you know. I love it when you host things. You you seem to wear well. You do wear your your intelligence very lightly. Um, and but now you've put all that behind. You said no. I'm gonna I'm gonna make movies. And I think it's such a brilliant, brave thing to do. And you're so good at it. So, so this this film is out today. It's nothing like maybe we're describing because it's not a big movie. It's a small movie. Yeah. yeah. I don't mean that small in colloquial. It's it, it's a small movie. There's lots of just two two shots. You know, singles. Um, there's no no big locations. Lots of it is set in the main character's flat. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a couple of 
scenes in bars. The the girl in it who was in who's in Call oh, the Midwife, Billy Ray, she, um, Billy, she played is, by Jessica Rain. She is so funny. I know. Do you, is, does that woman exist in real life? Because if she does, I really want to meet her. Because <laughs> she's insane. Yeah, she's a couple of people, but I probably shouldn't say who she is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you think they'll recognise themselves in the film? She came and did. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. The one who's not here, the one who needs something for, is of course our Superman sports guy, Vassas Alexander. You've had your John Invidal. You've had Talk Sports Laura Woods. Now you have Talk Sports Jim White. Good morning, Jim. Chris, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm very well. How are you today? I'm good. I know more about rabbits and ducks, <laughs> and I'm glad I came. Can That's you, simple as that. Can, now, if you look at the Champions League one way, can it become the Euro- Europa League if you look at it a different way? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not really. Good right. question, though. What about that, though? I mean, Liverpool go to Munich last night, and they're through. So they're through with City, United, and Tottenham. I cannot wait for that draw tomorrow. Four English clubs in it. It is absolutely outstanding. Now, Chris, I've got to say to you, One man who will be thrilled about that is a great friend of mine. And you don't know this, he's a great fan of yours and a great fan of the show. And he's king of the jungle. And he's Harry Redknapp. Harry, good morning. Hey, good morning. Oh, he's on the phone, is he? Yay, good. Jim's brought a surprise and he's Harry Redknapp. Good morning, Harry. How are you doing? Very well, how are you? Yes, I'm good, mate, good. Uh, Tell Chris you've got workers at the house. I could hardly hear you talk moments ago. What are they up to? Uh... Well, we've got, yeah, we've got plenty of workmen here. We've had floods everywhere, so um, yeah, they arrive very early and go home quite late at night. So we've got so we've got them here all day. Keep, but the only problem is, I think Sandra keeps making them bacon sandwiches, cups of tea, yeah, coffee, yeah. biscuits. I think they don't spend too much time working. They spend their week on holiday. You'll never get rid of them, pal. Okay. <laughs> um, you, you've got to give the workers a cup of tea and a plate of Bickies, but the bacon sarnies, mate, forget it. Bacon sandwiches. Yeah, she sends you up. Harry, go and get a fresh loaf. The, uh, yesterday's loaves have gone a bit, what's it? Go and get another loaf for it. <laughs> yeah. You're not doing much. Yeah. Did you watch the game last night, Harry? Yeah, yeah, I watched the... Uh, brilliant, yeah, amazing. But uh, great to see four English teams... In the last day, I mean, it's just amazing. So, brilliant. Did you see Barcelona, though, Harry? I watched bits of it. Yeah, in between, uh, I think they're the biggest danger to the English teams, Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. Messi looks outstanding. I mean, my God, he just—if it's possible, he gets better and better, doesn't he? Mind you, what about Ronaldo the night before? Yeah. Amazing. The hat-trick, you know, I guess they've got to score three goals to win and he comes up with a hat-trick. I mean, what, what a player. So, come on, reveal to us live on Chris's show who's going to win the Champions League. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'd like to see Tottenham do it, but um, Liverpool, I'd love to see, any, listen, any of the any of the Man United, Man City, I'd love to see an English team win it, obviously, whoever whoever it is, it'll be great for, for, for English football game, the Premier League, to see if uh, one of our teams win, it, win the Cup. So Barcelona then? <laughs> no, they are the danger, obviously, Chris, when you've got Messi, Suarez, you know, they're, they're just amazing team, so... They're, they're going to be the team to beat, I would think, that uh, we've got to worry about. But I think we've got a big, great chance this year with four teams through. How many How many builders in, by the way? Well, it, it, start, it started off a few weeks ago. They were a bit lively. There was about six of them. I think we're down to about two now. OK, so you've, you've voted <laughs> four out. It's like... six, it could be here for the next six months, I think. It's like being back in the jungle. OK, um, so uh, do they are they are they catch-up boys or are they... HP uh, brown brown sauce. They like a, a bit of a, a bit of brown sauce on their on their bacon sandwiches. I, I used to be ketchup, but now uh, you know when I hit my fifties, I've gone brown. You've always been brown. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like I like the old brown sauce on my bacon sandwiches. Although I, think, I don't think I've got enough bacon left for me. They've, they've taken it all. <laughs> you better get back to the shops again, Harry. Thanks for being back on the, the show. Shops again. All right, pal. Lots of love. Good talking to you, Chris. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. The best entertainment all in one place on Virgin Radio. Oh, oh no, we <laughs> have a supermate in the studio. Good morning, though. Good morning, Christopher. How are you? I'm very well. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. You're quite hot. I am. I just ran from the tube. The car got stuck. The car? The car got stuck. <laughs> uh, ran on the tube. I bring you my sweaty self. You do. Um, so now you're smelling more of you than you are of Crufts. Yes. Uh, but of course, you're just fresh out of Crufts. How was Crufts this year? It was fantastic. I got to uh, have a lot of dogs lick my face. I got a lot of uh, people to try and lick my face. <laughs> I had a lot of barks, uh, a lot of tail wags, a lot of cuddles, a lot of hair on my beard. And uh, there was, it was an immense amount of joy in the room. It was fantastic. Great time. Any sort of new narrative at Crufts this year? Any new themes as far as dog use is concerned? Uh, I I think there was a new theme actually it was embracing of the ordinary in the extraordinary I, I genuinely meant, mean that all of the, the dogs who weren't pedigree were like oh who is that that's great and they're all hanging out in the same room so Scruffs met Crofts and, and it, was a, it, was a, it was a different mood this year I felt it was a kind of a mood of embracing the, everybody Okay, and what, so what, what happens at Cross? Because it, it is a doggy festival, isn't it? It's an indoor, yeah. rainproof, weatherproof doggy festival. Yeah. Three days, four days? Well, 165,000 people, I Whoa! think. Over three days, mental. Uh, you walk through the halls. You, you cannot escape being hugged. Literally every yard you go, you get a hug. And, and everybody there is a, is a wonderful person. It's, it's actually my fa- it's a little holiday for me every year. One of my favourite places. Now, other than the dogs that are on show or taking part in one way or another at Crufts, are, are dogs allowed? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's dogs in wheelie bins. There's dogs in wheelie carriers. Right. There's dogs in backpacks. There's dogs in small carry-on. There's do- a dog. I saw a big dog head sticking out of a rugsack with this oh, guy walking on, on the bus. Quite a big one. Uh, or dogs of all shapes and sizes in all kinds of different situations. So that's the opposite of the French lady who takes the, the, the little... What would it be? Yes. Two hours yeah, on board yes, the plane. Yes. In, in a, this guy went all the way, a massive backpack with, a, with massive a, a, a 30 kilo dog <laughs> head sticking out. Were you slightly envious? <laughs> I just thought that guy's got it all sorted. He has everything he needs right there. 160 odd thousand people. That's incredible. Uh, so you, you're on. I mean, you talk about those things as always. Uh, but no Fitzpatrick becoming the super vet available now in paperback and look look what they could put on the front cover of the paperback that they couldn't put on the first copies of the hardback here it is above Noel Fitzpatrick becoming the super vet just read those five words out for us Rachel please oh the number one Sunday Times best seller get in oh, thanks very much thanks uh, very does much. it concern you at all that everybody who might want to have read the book bought the hardback because they love you so much not at all I was at <laughs> Crufts and, and, and basically uh, people just want a little kiss or my paw print on it I had like I don't know, a thousand mothers in, in like mm. a, a line. And the NEC were like, you can't have that many people in a line. I'm like, well, of course, it's Mother's Day coming up. Everybody's allowed in Did a line. you really have that big I, queue? I, it was mental. So how do you deal with a queue of a thousand people uh, as, big, the, as, the, as the signature? Uh, yeah, well, it was, it was fabulous. Uh, they had written all kinds of different things in there. One lady had written, uh, so they put a little yellow post-it note on the inside of the book, who do they want to sign in? You know, Ethel, Mabel, whatever. And, uh, and it was to <laughs> Mrs. Fitzpatrick. Oh. And I'm like, well, are you really, Mrs. Fitzpatrick? She said, I will be if you play your cards right. Hey, come on. <laughs> Best answer ever. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> and I said, Where is she here? The, is she I, here? I, said, I said to the security guys, get me a pack of cards now. <laughs> okay, now it's out now. Um, he, he, a queue of over a thousand people formed for a signing session for Noel at Crufts. I mean, that is the place to go if you want to sell your book, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, well, it, it, was, it was very humbling. Uh, and to be honest... I did think, like you said, you know, after the hardback came out, the people that were going to buy it would buy it. Mm. But then I realised, actually, although it's supposed to be an autobiography, it's actually about everybody. And the reason that that occurred to me was that uh, kids would come along and they would talk to me about their experiences, and and people would come, disabled people would come along and talk to me about their experiences, and they found you know redemption in in such and such a chapter, you know. So when I talk about stuff that happened to me in school or stuff that happened to me when I was studying or, or having a big dream, anyone who ever had a big dream, this book's for them, and and that made me think. Well, hang on a minute. That book's actually about me. It shouldn't be my my mug on the front of it and my beautiful little hairy dog, Kira, but it should be everybody because the book is actually written for people who felt in a desperate situation, felt, look, I've got no hope, I'm in the middle of nowhere, nothing's ever going to happen, this is not going to be good, and then you have to dream your way out of that. And most uh, kids were coming up to me and like, how do I dream my way out of that? And for me, I just invented Vetman. So he had a, 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 a big cape and he would climb the chestnut tree in our garden and he would fly off and save all the animals in the world. He would pick up all the waifs and strays that had been thrown out by society and he would take a wheelbarrow and make a new shell for a tortoise or he would take a, a, an old toilet roll uh, dispenser and make something for a parrot or he would take a bit of a kettle or a bit of a, a tractor engine and make springs for a rabbit's legs and he would make them all bionics. So Vetman and the bionic clan just flew around the world <laughs> saving everything, including Brexit. And uh, he, he, for me, kind of saved me from the bullies and he made me believe in my head at least that everything was possible uh, so in my head Vetman made everything possible and for me this book is about anybody whoever feels downtrodden anybody whoever feels I've got no hope anybody whoever has a dream that thinks it was crushed no matter what age you are whether you're 80 or 8 there is still room for you to reach for that star in heaven and that's what that book's about it's interesting because uh, for people who don't know, who haven't read um, Noel's book or haven't been his mate for 20 years like I have, um, he, your childhood was really genuinely full of adversity and he really was born in the middle of nowhere and you had a happy home life to a certain extent and were, were, you were never as close to your dad as, as you wanted to be. Very close to your mum, still around, thank heaven, uh, for Mother's Day and St Patrick's Day in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, but then you were bullied at school. And um, and it wasn't easy. And you, like you say, you did dream your way out of the situation. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Any parent will tell you that raising a child is one of the hardest things you can do. And someone who might be able to make it all a little more manageable is the author of the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you did. It's the marvellous Philippa Perry. Good morning, Philippa. And she's dressing to match her book. You actually do match your book, don't you? Yeah, that's an accident. be an accident <laughs> just scanning through it it's already fascinating and terrifying you say about uh, about your book um, some things in it may upset parents some things in it may make parents angry but it will make them better parents what kind of things make, what kind of things have you found make them angry in your book well one thing people don't like doing is to see what they're bringing to it and this is about 
relationships. Mm. Bringing up a child is about the relationship you have with your child. And people don't like to think that they're bringing something to make their child behave inconveniently. You know, for instance, if we always are very top down with our children, very stubborn and inflexible that they have to obey, we then find our children are stubborn and inflexible and, and want to dominate as well. And we get into these cycles. And when I say you have to undo that and do something differently so your children have a better model, people might get angry. Yeah, they do. Because uh, dogs are often a reflection of their owners. Uh, kids are a reflection of their parents. Isn't everything a mirror to who we are? Isn't that it? My favourite phrase it's, in the world it's is... Not, it's not that clean, but it can be, yeah. We're getting there, though, aren't we? Because yeah. my favourite my favorite saying in the world is you don't see the world as it is, you see the world as you are. And yeah. don't you see everything around you like that because it's our take on everything and we create things, you know, from, from how our point of view as opposed to their point of view. And our parents give us a view of the world that becomes like our glasses as well. So oh we've dear. got very, very scared, anxious parents. We quite often have very scared, anxious Same with children. dogs. Same with dogs, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. A lot of the issues that come and see me, uh, they say, oh, my dog is terrified. I'm like, no, you're terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, my dog. My dog is really anxious. There's separation no, anxiety. No. no, you have separation anxiety. <laughs> oh, God. When I, when, I wanted, so when I wanted to know how my dad was, I'd say, how are you, Dad? And he'd go, oh, I'm fine, thanks. And i go, how's the dog? And he'd go, oh, the dog's really depressed. <laughs> <laughs> this is now Philippa Perry talking to Rachel Horn. Hi, Philippa. Hi, Rachel. Now, I know who you are because I'm a big fan of Red Magazine and you're, oh, right. you're Red Magazine's agony aunt. I am, yes. And so I read an article at the weekend that was in the magazine and it was it was talking about your book and the different things you spoke about and something really resonated with me because you were talking about when you're in the playground or in the park with the kids and it's cold and it's wet and they're having a great time but you've been there for half an hour and you're cold and wet and you want to go home. Yeah. And you were saying... Don't say to the children, right, right, you've had enough. You're going to catch your death of cold. It's time we need to go. You need to be honest about why you're leaving. So I read that on Sunday and then on Monday night, I was tired. The kids were still up because their bedtimes are half seven and eight. But seven o'clock, I wanted to go to bed. My husband was out working and I went into the playroom to say to them, right, you need to go to bed. And they said, oh, why? It's earlier than normal. And I started to say to them, oh, well, you were up late at the weekend and da, da, da. And then I caught myself and I said, actually, boys, I'm really knackered and I need to go to bed, but I need you in bed before me. And they all went, oh, all right then. And yeah. off they trotted up the stairs. And it was, I, really, I caught myself, I thought about what you'd said and it really had an impact. Yeah, and if we speak in I statements to our children, we don't define them by going, you are tired, you have got to bed. They know what they feel. It's so much more honest to go, I'm tired, I want to go to bed. And they can hear that because you're not trying to manipulate them and it makes you have a closer relationship. Do you kind of find yourself observing just in general life people and how they relate to their kids and what do you find you want to step in and say something? Have you ever done that? I do step in sometimes um, and sometimes a mum or a dad is having a really bad day. Like there's three kids all pulling him in different directions and he's just going, will you just stop? Or something like that and I think, oh, those kids are getting scared. But what I do is I try and parent the dad a bit. I go, oh, you're having a bad day, aren't you, mate? You know, can I help you with this, this push chair down this escalator or whatever it is? I think we shouldn't be judgmental of other parents. We don't know what they've been through. And I think it's really nice if we see, a, you know, a parent apparently maybe verbally abusing a child or something, how you can step in is like, say, you're having a bad time, can I help? 
rather than, you're a bad parent, which is not going to help anyone. So can we expect a follow-up? Well, I might do a follow-up of perhaps more case studies between, you know, when parents and children had a problem and got stuck in their relationship and how they got unstuck, how they got from, you know, winner and loser dynamic and found collaboration or something like that. I might do that, yeah. Okay, Philippa Perry, the book you wish your parents had read and your children will be glad that you did. I can't wait to read it. Thank you. The book you wish your kids had read. No, the book you wish your parents had read. I'm working on your next one. Um, That's why I'm coming up with your next title for you. Oh, I see. So I'm really trying to help. I was was listening. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's the book you wish, isn't it? That's your your franchise, the book you wish. Oh, that's my... I've got a franchise and you're going to give me a brand next. The book you wish... Same kind of design, different colours. You could have oh, a, rain, a rainbow, couldn't you? My publisher would love you. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. The best entertainment all in one place. On Virgin Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.